Yes, appreciate it, man. Oh, there's a good spirit about this place. I like being here. It's good to be back in East Texas with you. Some of my happiest memories as a kid when I was a teenager up in Hideaway Lake, up in Lindale. And then uh, my son currently is a student athlete out in Marshall at uh, ETBU. He's one of the starting pitchers. Thanks for asking. And so uh, my wife and I know every billboard from Weatherford to Marshall and back. Uh, but it's really good to be with you this morning. You know, Chris and I actually go way back as well. I, I was thinking it's probably been 30 years, I think, that Chris and I first got to know each other back when I had hair. And uh, we were both single. And so uh, I, I can tell you Chris comes from humble beginnings. We were both interns at this church, and we didn't have an office, so they made one for us out of a closet. I'm not making this up. They converted a closet into an office, and so Chris and I shared a closet office as interns 30 years ago, $7 an hour, and uh, just loving life. And then have you ever met a guy and then seen his beautiful wife and then just said, there's just no way? You know what I'm saying? Because, like, Ginger is just, I'm, I knew Ginger when she, she was single too. She's just so pretty, and you know Chris, right? You know what he looks like, right? <laughs> And uh, I was like, that dude is either rich or a smooth talker, and I think we know which one he is. And uh, anyway, super happy to be here with you, to, and, and I just want to thank the leadership of this church for giving Chris some rest as fellow pastors. You know, we need those sabbatical times, and so I just want to thank the leadership of this church for giving him some rest. It's my honor to be here so he can do that. I hear you're in the Psalms together, right? So would you find Psalm 142 with me? Let's dig in to Psalm 142 together, and as you're doing that, how many of you have ever been spelunking, going cave, going caving? A handful of you? Are y'all nuts? Caves are like deep, dark, musty, you know, places. My claustrophobic wife would never go down in there. Caves are not really a place where you just kind of want to hang out for a long time, right? I'm sure there's interesting stuff down in there, but they're not really a place where you want to hang out for a long time unless you're hiding out. But if you're hiding... They're a great place. And that's what David is doing at this point in his life right now. He's hiding in the caves of Adullam. I think we have some pictures of that as well. So if you go over to Israel, you go to these caves of Adullam, and they're in this region called En Gedi. How many of you all have ever been to Israel? Okay, a handful of us. I encourage all of you to go. These are, actually, these are real places and real caves, and it's very real possibility that David wrote this psalm from one of those caves. And it's really poetic that actually Dave, David is in a cave right now because he's in a cave personally. He's in a cave spiritually, emotionally, uh, mentally. But out from this cave, he pours his heart out to God and he puts it down in words and into a song. And we call it Psalm uh, 142. And it begins like this. It's a mascal of David when he was in the cave. There it is. It's a prayer. He turns this prayer into a song when he was from the cave. If you look back in Psalm, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 1, you know the context of this, that David is on the run. David, if you remember, he was anointed uh, to be the next king by the prophet Samuel when he was just a boy. And then he grows up and becomes this mighty warrior, but there's already a king in place. His name's Saul, right? And, and David just continues to grow in popularity as this mighty warrior. And the people begin to have this chant around the nation where Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. So David is like ten times as popular with the people, and Saul's the king, and so he's jealous. And so Saul is pursuing David, and so David is really doing life pretty much like a hunted animal right now. Saul wants to kill him. 
And so he's hiding out in a cave. And he's alone. You could say that uh, right now at this point in his life, David has hit rock bottom. But like one of my favorite preachers, Tony Evans, says, sometimes God lets you hit rock bottom so that you can discover he's the rock at the bottom. David discovers that Jesus is the rock at the bottom. Verse 1. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. So David's pouring his heart out to God, all right? He's uh, pouring out his complaint, he says, to God. And I thought about that. I was like, can let's just be honest, man. Nobody likes a complainer. You know what I'm saying? Have you all ever worked customer service, right? <laughs> Nobody likes a complainer. Matter of fact, Mark Twain says, don't complain to other people about your problems. 80% of the people don't care, and the other 20% will think you deserve them. <laughs> so <laughs> nobody likes a complainer. But isn't God good? Isn't our Father good that he actually invites us to come? You remember 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares upon me because I care for you, right? Just come. Whatever's in your heart, whatever's troubling you, whatever complaints you may have, just pour them out to God. He invites you to come. So David does that. And here's what's on David's heart. He says this, verse 3, when my spirit faints within me, you know my way, Lord. And the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Okay, so two things, one that's comforting and one that's kind of disconcerting. First, my brothers and sisters, may I remind you that God knows your way. That wherever you go in life, no matter where you are or who you're with, God is with you. He knows your way, man, and that should comfort you. Remember what David said in Psalm 139? We just sang about it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. I believe on the authority of God's word, like Jesus said in John 10, of all those whom the Father has given me, I shall lose none of them. No one will snatch them out of my hand, and my Father who is greater than all has given them to me, and no one will snatch them out of my Father's hand. So in a sense, theologically speaking, you are double-gripped in the hands of God when you come to faith in Jesus Christ. He will hold you fast. No matter where you are, no matter where you're going. And would you just take some comfort in your soul to that? You are, if you've placed your life in the hands of Christ, you are in the grip of God. He will hold you fast. Take comfort in that. But then also we've got to look at the next line. There's also another spiritual reality that what David is experiencing physically, we also are experiencing spiritually, that we have an enemy who is setting traps for us. Here's what the scripture says, 1 Peter 5, 8, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. You have a spiritual enemy, and he sets traps. He's called the devil, but he's not God's equal and opposite. God has no equal. He has no rival. But there's this fallen angel named Lucifer who fell, and now he is the head of an army of your spiritual enemy. Remember, can I just remind you, as people of faith, you and I believe in the invisible, you remember this, Hebrews 11.1, 1, it defines what faith is. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and, you remember, the conviction of things, what? Not seen. You believe in the invisible. You believe in the unseen. Matter of fact, 
you believe it, is just as real as the stuff that you do see. You're assured of it. You're convicted about it. You believe in God. You believe in the Holy Spirit. You believe in heaven. You believe in hell. You believe in angels and demons. And those places and those beings are just as real and just as true to us people of faith as all the things that we can see. So you have a spiritual enemy, and he is a trap-setting fool. In 1 Timothy 3, Paul's talking about uh, leadership in the church, qualifications for leadership in the church, and here's what he says. That the leader in the church must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. My brothers and sisters, what is temptation but a trap? Y'all know what a trap is. It's something that looks good on the surface, but underneath it's got a nasty bite. That's what temptation is. It looks good on the surface. But like that first hit of cocaine, it's a, like setting the hook. That's why y'all know what a big fish knows? A lure is just a lure. That's a, just a lure. I guess you could say, what does a big bear know? A trap is just a trap. It's just a trap. You want to be a big fish in God's kingdom? You want to be a big bear in God's kingdom? It's just a trap, man. That's what temptation is. It's just a trap. And what's worse for David, he's, he's got traps all around him. And what's worse for him right now is he also, in addition, feels all alone. Verse 4, he says, look to the right and see there is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. Wow. That may very well be the saddest verse in the entire Bible. Welcome to South Spring Baptist Church. Take notice of me, he says. Literally, it means that there's no one who regards me on my right. That's what the original language means. And what that means, David's speaking as a soldier now, to no one regarding me on my right, that's your flank position as a soldier. Some of you in the military know that means someone who's got your six. I got your back. David has no one at his side, no one who's got his back right now. He's... He's alone. There's no one taking notice of me. And so I was thinking about what's going on in our country right now. We may be experiencing some type of economic recession right now with all that's going on. But I know for sure, because of the pandemic, I think especially, we're experiencing a friendship recession. There's a friendship recession going on. I found this article in the New York Post a while back. And especially with men, let's be honest, fellas. Ladies are better at this than we are. But there's a friendship recession going on in our country. It's almost one out of five. One out, almost one out of five men in our country do not have a single close friend. 20% of the men in our country almost cannot name one close friend. David looked to his right. There's no one there. He's in a cave emotionally, spiritually, mentally. There's no one there for him, he said. We're in a friendship recession. You know what a difference it makes in life when you have a close friend or two? It makes a huge difference. Think about the two gospel stories of the paraplegic men. 
Remember the one great story. There's this man who was born a paraplegic, but he's got these four friends. Jesus comes to town. They hear about it, and the four friends carry him to Jesus. But the crowd's too great. You remember this? And that doesn't deter them. They are determined to get their paraplegic friend at the feet of Jesus because they've heard rumors about him. They believe about him that Jesus can do something about it. So instead of giving up, they carry him all the way up to the roof, dig a hole in the roof, and lay him down at the feet of Jesus. Now that's a friend. Contrast that story with the other story of the paraplegic man who's at the pool of Bethesda. And for 38 years, no one is there to help him into the pool. And he just lays there until Jesus comes along and takes care of him. What a difference a friend makes. So may I ask you a personal question? Do you have a friend like that? Do you have a close friend? My mom always said the best way to find a friend is to be one. We need friends. The book of Proverbs says a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. And I'll add to that, it says a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You have a friend like that? Or maybe a better question is, are you a friend like that? We need friends. Uh, I enjoyed a sabbatical like Chris a few years ago myself, and one of the days the Lord directed me to spend the day, it was a day of gratitude. You get to do this when you're on sabbatical. The entire day was just devoted to gratitude. And one of the things I did was I wrote down the names of people who have come and gone or who are now in glory that have really just blessed me. And I just wrote all the names I could think of. But then I also compiled a list of my 3 a.m. friends. You know what I'm talking about when I talk about a 3 a.m. friend? That's a friend that you could call. Or that could call you and say, hey, man, I need you. And it's 3 a.m. and they would come running. That's the kind of friend I'm talking about. Do you have a 3 a.m. friend? Are you a 3 a.m. friend? If not, be one. And if you do have some, can I just encourage you with something, man? If you have some 3 a.m. friends, would you just let them know how much you love them, how much they mean to you? All right? Just tell them. We need friends. But as for David right now, he can't find any. So at this time, he, he cries out to the only one who is there for him. Verse 5, he says, I cry out to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. Love that. At this deep, dark hour of David's life, he calls on God. And like A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Put yourself in David's shoes. You're in a cave mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically, and you're all alone. You call on God. What comes into your mind about God at that moment? For David, you are my refuge and my portion. So can we chew on those together? You are my refuge. What does that mean, to be Refuge. Well, you know what that means. That means to be a a shelter or a safe place or safe space. Y'all remember this? uh, A few years back uh, on college campuses, they created all these safe spaces for all the college students so they could go and cry and wail. Y'all remember this? And as me being part of the uh, suck it up buttercup generation, I didn't really get it, all right? But I, I see where they're coming from because I think there's something Something about us that when we're in, when we're in a cave like this, there's, there's something about us where we just, 
need a place to cry out, to be completely vulnerable, to completely ourselves, to open our soul up. And I'm here to tell you on, on the authority of the word of God, God's that place. He's your safe space. He's a place where you can run. Matter of fact, that's what the scripture says. Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. That's where you run. You want to be righteous? Run to God. My young friends, I see a lot of students here. Students, the enemy will give you lots of other options on places to run. Sex, drugs, you name it. And those things may be a little bit fun, and they may numb the pain, but they will not solve the problem. The righteous, the scripture says, the righteous run to God. I got to watch my grandmother do this. My grandmother came to live with us when I was in high school. At the time, honestly, I thought it was a drag. I'm not going to lie. But it became a blessing. And my grandmother was a widow for 36 years. Her husband died when they were 53, and she lived to be 89. So I got to watch her live out her widowed years for 36 years as a widow. And you know what carried her? Two hymns expressed. She had two favorite hymns. The Lord carried her, and she had two hymns. In the Garden was the first one. Y'all know In the Garden? And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. Y'all know that one? You can imagine a widow just cherishing those words. God is with me, speaking to me. I'm his own. The other hymn she loved was Rock of Ages. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Right? That's what David's doing. He's running to the rock of ages. There's like this cleft, if you will, this little small cavern in God that you can run to. The righteous run to it and are safe. He is your safe space, my brothers and sisters. He's your refuge, David said. Secondly, he said, Lord, you're my portion. Y'all know what that is, portion. That's the amount that you get, right? The allotment, your share. And I love how he said this. Lord, you're my portion in the land of the living. In other words, God's going to provide for me in the here and now. It's not all about accepting Jesus so you can go to heaven. This is about walking with the Lord and experiencing him on a daily basis in the here and now. This is similar in spirit to what Paul said to the church in Philippi when he said, 419, my God shall supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. God is your portion. Now, like I like to tell my church, that doesn't say, and my God shall supply all your greeds. It just says needs. He will supply. One of the th uh, things that Chris and I have in common is we both love sugar. Don't you just love sugar? <clears throat> and uh, this, I know why this church is the most popular. Y'all do donuts really well around here. <laughs> and I know Chris has an influence on that decision. <laughs> so I, I struggle a little bit with, with that and overeating as well. And so I remember my wife and I did Weight Watchers one time. And they have this thing in Weight Watchers where it's about portion control. Ugh, don't you just hate that? Portion control. Well, then it hit me. In life, God is in charge of my portion control. He's in charge. He's my portion. And, and I trust him in the spirit of Philippians 4.19. I trust him to provide what I need at the right time. He's my portion. 
He's my refuge and my portion. And so with that in mind, you remember what comes in your mind when you think about God? It's the most important thing about us. David calls on God as his refuge and as his portion. And with that in mind now, he begins his request. Verse 6. Attend to my cry, he says, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Man, what a humble admission by the great warrior that they're too strong. This is the guy, David, or Paul, Saul killed his thousands. David is tens of thousands. He's slayed many people, but he's now, Lord, I'm not strong enough for this. What a humble admission by the great warrior king. In our church, we talk about that you and I are most susceptible to sin when we're in one of four states or any combination thereof, hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. Halt. When you are hungry, angry, lonely, and tired or any combination thereof, that's a good time to halt what you're doing. Think about what you're doing. Think about King David right now. He's all four. He's in a cave, not really good eating in a cave. He's angry. He's being pursued from a guy that he's trying to honor. He's being hunted by a man that he's trying to honor as the anointed king. He's lonely. We've seen that. And he's tired. He's been on the run, man. He's all four. He's alone. He's, he's susceptible. He's admitting that he's powerless. Like the step one of the AA, we admitted that we were powerless. David is in his prayer. He's like, Lord, I'm powerless over this. I'm alone. And I'm, he uses the word very low in spirit. That's what makes him vulnerable. You remember what Ecclesiastes says? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Y'all remember this? I've shared this verse many times in weddings, but you know what this verse is really about? Friendship. Notice, let's go line by line. Though one may be overpowered, my brothers and sisters, David's alone, he's admitting, I'm vulnerable. I can be overpowered right now. The Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. Don't do it alone. You may be overpowered alone. That's why you need the second strand, which is a friend. Someone who's got your six, someone at your side, your community group here at South Spring. You need church. That's the second strand. And then we like to talk about the third strand being the Lord. But oftentimes we skip the first two. And I'm here to tell you, don't do life alone. You need friends, you need church, and you need Christ. That's the Christian life. David's alone. He's vulnerable. Lord, they're too strong for me. So by faith... He says this, verse 7, we'll close with this. Bring me out of this prison that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me. You will deal bountifully with me. Mm, I love that. That's the word of faith right there. He believes that God's going to hear him and answer him, and I believe he will too. And he says, I love this. You will deal bountifully with me. So that kind of goes back to the Lord being our portion and in charge of our portion control, right? And when I think of portion control, I think of this place out west of where I live in a town called Strawn. It's called Mary's Cafe. And have you all ever heard of Mary's Cafe? You have? You've been there? You know what I'm talking about then. You can testify. So Mary, Mary's Cafe, I don't know, it's in this, this nowhere town, Strawn, Texas. But she has a secret sauce and chicken fried steak. I'm telling you, man, she makes the best chicken fried steak. I made the mistake of telling my wife that her chicken fried steak was better. 
I know that was a bad husband move, but it's true. <laughs> it's so good. And then they bring out the portions. Y'all can testify with me. Can you testify? We're going to have some church. The portions on the plate are huge. Mashed potatoes and all this. It's overflowing. They're Texas-sized portions. Am I right? They're Texas-sized portions. So when I think about God being my portion, I get to the end and David says, you will deal bountifully with me. I know as a person of faith, I'm trusting the Lord. They're going to be Texas-sized portions with me. I'm one of his children. He loves to bless me. He will deal bountifully with me. So in my spiritual journey and our walk with the Lord, may I encourage you, don't do it alone. We need friends. We need church. Gather yourself around you. Like Hebrews 10 says, let us consider. You remember how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds? And let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. By the way, do you all see the day approaching? Well, then the scripture says, well, get together all the more. I know kind of there's this trend in our society right now where people aren't getting together as much. I'm here to tell you, buck the trend. The day's approaching. Get together more. Matter of fact, I was praying about this, and I think God gave me this to tell you. I hope this is okay for me to say. It's not too weird. Don't wait till your funeral to gather around you your closest friends. Don't wait till your funeral to gather around your closest friends. I don't care what your excuses. Call them up. Get together. Do life together. And all the more as you see the day approaching. And then by faith and the spirit of Psalm 142, I believe that God will deliver you and deal bountifully with you. Amen. Amen. May I pray? So, Lord, our Heavenly Father, you are our portion and our refuge. And, Lord, uh, you gave South Spring Baptist Church this psalm this morning, so I'm, I'm just trusting that there's someone here this morning or someone online who is in a, a deeper place, darker place spiritually, mentally maybe. And would you use the psalm to lift them up? Lift them up out of the miry uh, pit and out of the miry clay and set their feet like feet, like hinds feet on high places, on solid ground. The righteous run to the name of the Lord and are safe. Lord, in faith and prayer, we are running to your name right now. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. To you we run. And Lord, to you we trust to be our portion. Lord, if there's anyone in here who is having needs of any kind, Lord, I, I believe as a good, good father that you would deal abundantly with them. Would you deal abundantly with them now? Bless them as a good dad. And continue to bless this church to be uh, the salt and light of this community. That's my prayer. And I pray that in Jesus' great name, amen.